0: Previously on Steambox Versus, Bruce Leroy, the last dragon, shared the glow. The Iron Sheep broke backs and made us humble. Michio Kaku showed us how to find dark matter. Samus and Mega Rad led a rap battle for the ages. And we plunged into virtual reality in Ready Player One. Will Steambox make it back to Ghibli in Japan? Will the Boston Celtics dunk on us? Will the Dragon Ball Z narrator ever join the crew? Stay tuned and find out on Steam Box Versus. Hey world, welcome back. This is currently the number two podcast in the world in education. This is the Steam Box Versus podcast. I am here today with my homies, from Central Falls High School, Warriors. Warriors, please say what's up to the world. What's what? up? We have, yeah, after, playing, after playing these board games for the past couple of weeks, we have the creators uh, of Ransom Notes. We have the creators of Puns of Anarchy, very special games in the house. We've got Josh and Evan. Josh and Evan, how are you guys doing?
1: So good. Thanks for having us. Yeah, very well, thank you. Excited to be here.
0: We are happy to have you. We got to play some of the games last week. I tried to uh I tried to cater it to these older teenagers. Uh cool. and they found a way to break the game and make it dirty and mean. Uh I saw an opportunity and took it. He said, I saw an opportunity and I took it. Uh, it does not take a lot for you to find an opportunity to be an a-hole, man. You just jump right in there. It's not a meaning. With the dogs that was my... you joined me don't even <laughs> so uh so these guys made the games that we we're talking about and they made a whole bunch of other games. uh I'm gonna send things over to my students in just a second, but I wanted to see if you guys saw this, I was reading uh an article on BuzzFeed today it says twenty seven reviewer loved games that make perfect gifts for every occasion. and ransom Notes was number seven on this list. If you hadn't seen that, And what I have seen is that Wingspan is the most overrated and talked about game in the entire world. That game, by the way, your game came in at number seven. Wingspan came in at, uh, I think it was 30. Nope, 27. It was the last one on the list. It came in at like 27 on this list. So you guys are way ahead of Wingspan when it comes to the actual reviewers, the people who get their hands on the game and love the games. What do you guys think about that?
1: I think it's fairly remarkable. I, I, I uh, tend to like high concept, very complicated strategy games, So um, I'm not going to have a negative word to say about Wigsman for sure. Um, but I think Evan and I are both very proud of kind of the accessibility that ransom notes has. It's very easy for anybody to sort of pick up, uh, understand what they're supposed to do um, and uh, be able to do it pretty effectively. Um, and I think it, it, it brings an amount of joy to the players that I don't think either one of us could honestly say we anticipated. Um, so I think we're both really happy with that, but I, you know, seeing what it was able to do this past holiday season, um, being in the same stratosphere as like cards against humanity and exploding kittens, uh, on, on Amazon rankings, uh, you know, it's just remarkable and it's, it's, I don't know, flattering, um, weird, um, very surprising, and still a little bit like we're living in a dream, I think.
0: Wingspan. uh, Wingspan was another one of those games on the list. It seems like uh, you are a game lover. Uh, What are some of your Evan and Josh favorite games? What are some of the the games that inspire you? What are some of the games that you love to put on the table?
2: (laughs) So for me, uh, you know, it kind of depends who am I playing with? Uh, Are these people who uh, want to have a, a fun half hour who might not be into games, or there are people who have, uh, you know, really want to get down to the strategy. I'm a big Settlers of Tan guy, got to say. I know that's not everyone's game, but I think that one is just, <laughs> you know, you lose some friendships, but it's an excellent game as far as strategy games go. And then uh, I think my my personal favorite of the more, you know, learn in two minutes type game uh, is one called Wavelength. Uh, I don't know if y'all played that, but, uh, it's just really well designed on kind of all spectrums. We uh, we are big fans of the creator, and pick um, that one out if you haven't yet.
0: I played Wavelength with my family a couple of weeks ago. It divided my family. Some of us loved it. Some of us didn't. Yeah. Uh, I want to also thank you guys, and I want to let the world know for people who are listening. Very special games. These are the kind of people that you have at Very Special Games. Uh, your game, it seems like, was made for up to six people. Now, if you can see around the room here, I write this program for 6 to 12 students. And on some days, we'll have like 40 students. I told you guys, hey, this is a very good problem for us to have. But if your game is made for six people, I feel like it'll scale up. You guys sent me two more boxes of your game. So we were able to use more slates. And I think the students can tell you that it worked at 18 students. At 18 students, you're just as much fun. And I bet we could have pushed it further, but that's another story. for another <laughs> um, What's your question for Very Special Games?
2: Hey, Very Special Games. My question is, when you guys created the games, did you intend for it to be like, you know, making dirty jokes? Or was it just something <laughs> that <laughs> came <end> in the process?
1: <laughs> Go ahead, Josh. Sure. Sure. Um... The short answer is we wanted to give people as much flexibility as we possibly could. So it's no mistake that a lot of the words we chose um, have double meanings, double entendre um, slang that you can use either clean or dirty, if that's your choice. Um, But we tried our best to not necessarily pigeonhole the players uh, in a specific direction. Uh, Now, you know, our sense of humor is are, are what they are. So, um, Ransom Notes, when we, were, when we were writing the prompt cards, was very much a process of, you know, let's write down all the stuff that we think is funny and thought provoking. Um, so if you, you know, find a lot of the existential dread and kind of high philosophy stuff in the prompt cards, there's a good chance I wrote that. Um, if you found something that you found offensive, um, or lame, Evan probably wrote that one. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, we, 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 wanted to, we wanted to give players an avenue to express themselves as best we could, um, uh, within some guardrails, but, um, we don't necessarily shy away from the dirty stuff, but we do think there can be comedy found without, without having to be dirty.
0: Take well, that- there's just so many. Oh, go ahead. Take that wingspan. I don't think Adam could have broken wingspan. <laughs> like he did. Rans- give me <laughs> We'll try to break in. I'm sure you will. I am. I'm sorry, Evan, we cut you off. I
2: was just going to add, I think, you know, there's a lot of games out there, especially party games, that kind of really rely on, like, shocking, dirty humor. And um, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But uh, we are more and more interested in making games like Ransom Notes and Puns of Anarchy, where it really is up to the player. Um, and one, because it's creative and you know, kinda, you're kind of you making the joke instead of just reading off a joke that Josh and I wrote. Um, so you're the one who gets to be funny. And really just these games are a way that uh, is helping you to do that. I think a lot of people are much funnier than they give themselves credit for. And uh, you know, if, if there's one thing that kind of guides us through with our humor games is we want to uh, help everyone have an avenue to, to show that side of themselves.
0: I don't want to really point blame, but our freshman class president here, <laughs> uh, while we were playing fun of Anarchy, wrote on <laughs> on unwelcome. <laughs> supplies, wrote fetus uh, on the. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so good. Fetus <laughs> on the stairway to heaven. Cam, what do you have to say for yourself?
2: Um, it was me and my partner's decision, not just mine. But. Um,
0: yeah. All right. Uh, thank you very much. Pam. Vanessa, what's your question for a very special team? Uh, my, my
2: question is,
1: what has been your favorite game that you've created? Oh, wow. That's that toughy. Uh, there's probably a bunch of different ways I could answer that. I would say um, the last one we made, the next one we're making, um, you know, it's hard. It's hard not to love all of them in their own way. Um, I think. For me, ransom notes was such a, a creative outlet. Um, you know, I grew up uh, with diagnosed ADHD, and still, you know, as an adult with a a big kid job, um, still see it in my everyday life sometimes. So having this thing that I was actually gonna get paid to do, where I could literally just just put every thought that popped into my brain on paper, and it like made sense from a productivity standpoint um was just such a nice nice outlet for me
2: uh yeah i think it's also an impossible question for me to answer but you know there's it's like i this game is my favorite because of its simplicity this game is my favorite because of this uh i think we're particularly excited about this game that uh we launched a little while ago um but it's still in pre-orders it's called abduction and uh it's not not a humor game uh per se it's like kind of a light strategy game but we got to have a really fun time designing this art, and we also got for the first time to create uh, this 3D flexible spaceship that holds a bunch of uh, these little cute plastic ducks, if you can see that. So I think uh, we're, we're, we'd are we're like about this job that you can kind of take it in many different directions, and it's not like we're doing the same thing and making a different version of just the same game over and over.
0: I like how it's-
1: Sorry, not to stay on this this topic forever, but I, I think with puns of anarchy too, I would point out, um, I bet I bet if Cam was playing puns of anarchy with her grandma, she would have told a different joke than um, <laughs> the one you just shared with us. Um, and I think that's kind of the beauty of puns of anarchy is like you can literally um, dial it in for for the people you're playing with and the audience around you, um, and and you know make it really nasty if that's your proclivity, um, or you can make it make it wholesome and, and squeaky clean.
2: Yeah, because we're not, sorry. But when I was doing it, I knew that I had like a good group that I could make that joke with. But if it was
0: my on group, the stairway like, to heaven, yeah. Yeah. Wait, you know <laughs> you yeah. put like me on the stairway to heaven or something. not Phoenix.
2: Yeah.
0: Right. 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 Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. Yo, my grandma would not understand a word I'm saying.
0: <laughs> uh go ahead, next question.
2: Uh what is your favorite memory of playing a game? All right, I've got, I mean, there's so many, of course, but one, uh, <laughs> this is a really good memory, but it could have been a really bad memory. So when we made our first game, which was this one, uh, Charty Party, where it's basically like, uh, you know, you're, you're making these funny charts and uh, graphs. Um, we had a version of the game that kind of, it looked like it was a prototype version, but it looked like a real game. It was on like real cards. Um, and I took it to a friend's house for a game night. Um, and only my uh, girlfriend and I knew that it was a game that i would made. And, uh, so we just like suggested it as a game to play as like a real test of like, are real people going to like this game who don't know that we made it? Um, and luckily they did, but, and it was, you know, very, uh, very, um, empowering to hear that, but it could have really gone the other way. They could have been like, this game sucks. Let's move on. And I would have been like, I actually made it, but that was a good one for me.
1: Yeah, before before I answer, I'll tell you. Uh, watching other people play our games for the first time is among my least favorite experiences. Uh, it's just so nerve-wracking for me.
2: It is nerve-wracking. Um,
1: so my my favorite game memory, and don't tell my wife that I told you this story. When she and I first started dating, um, 500 years ago, um, mm-hmm. we had spent all day at a at a pool um, and had been drinking all day, and after that, played a game of categories. Um <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, if it was some combination and not understanding how to place categories or, or having had too much to drink, but we rolled a P um, and for, for each category, she answered pickle, um, <laughs> so all down her sheet, uh, all 20 answers or whatever were pickle. Um, and like literally probably 22 years ago, um, I still bring that up from time to time and still make fun of her about it. Uh, and it's just, just the best that that happened at all.
0: That's, that's her new nickname now. We're, we're not even married to her, but we know her as Pickle.
1: It was. It, it, that persisted as her nickname for about five years before she finally shook it.
0: You know, uh, somebody asked me, because these students got me into playing games now, uh, one of the schools, we're going to build our own uh, gaming table with like a, a a monitor underneath it. You know what I mean? So we have like a, a video thing on the board. Um, cool. They got me back into this stuff. And then my brother said, hey, since, you, since you've got your hand on all these games again, do you remember when you were a kid, you had this game called Where's the Beef? And you had uh, Blizzard of 78. we Rhode Islanders, right? So <laughs> Blizzard of 78 was this really cool board game way back then. Uh, and he actually reminded me that I've been a gamer since I was a small child. Do games transcend board games for you guys? Are you, Any of you guys uh, PlayStation or Xbox guys? Or PC, as Keith said? <laughs> no.
2: Yeah. Uh, so, uh, I'm, I'm mostly a board gamer in, you know, physical board game stuff now. Uh, uh when I was younger, the game that I, I, don't even know if they still make this game. Um, but I was obsessed with Roller Coaster Tycoon. Um, uh, and if you haven't played that game, it's you, you're running a theme park and, uh, you have to build your rides and keep your guests happy. And, uh, that game just fascinated me. And I think I think looking back now, it's like, oh, you were into running a business, uh, and that's why that game was so interesting to you. And uh, it's uh, it's very cool that now some days, well, a lot of days, it feels like you know we kind of are playing roller coaster tycoon in a way. It's just with uh, with these board games.
1: Yeah, I don't play as many video games as I used to. Um, but back in the day, I was awesome at Halo 2. Um, and. My wife does not think this is attractive as I do, but I was actually in the top 200 in uh, Madden NFL 2003. Okay,
0: okay. Some of these students are going to <laughs> want a game at some point. Uh, we put arcade cabinet in the corner because our students had developed an arcade cabinet. This thing plays 2,000 games, uh, and wow. they like Mugen games. Have you guys considered putting this stuff like puns of anarchy would make a lot of sense in app form? Have you guys given consideration to that? I'm sure you have, but.
2: Many times, uh, and I think the short answer is we don't know what we're doing. Um, when <laughs> when you get into uh, the virtual realm, we hardly know what we're doing with these games now, uh, because you know the company is uh, uh, just Josh and I full time right now, um, so we're still a small operation. Um, I think I think one thing that Josh and I really like about the fact that our games are not don't have the virtual component at least today is that. You know, so many things are on a screen right now, and I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that, but it is a cool way to get people uh, off their phones, literally sitting around a table together um, and uh, and playing together that way. So, no, we don't have a virtual version of the games at the moment.
1: Uh, And I'll I'll add a a not as wholesome answer to that and say, you know, with with an app, there's two ways to make money with an app. It's either charge people to access it, which... You know, in general, people don't like to pay for stuff on the internet, I don't think. Or you can collect and sell their data. Um, and I don't want to do that. Uh so uh, you know, from a purely business standpoint, I don't think we understand really how to properly monetize if we were to do digital versions of the game.
0: Our students will sell your data. Uh they will do that. They're gonna hide of Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, is, it is a complete coincidence that I'm throwing to question to Keith at, at this <laughs> Keith, uh, what is your question for very you special?
2: Know, games? You know, not oh, <laughs> straight now. like um, So, how did you guys like first start out as like you know making board games and stuff like that? And like, what was like the first idea that you guys had for a board game? Josh loves telling this story, so you better go okay. for it.
1: Yeah. Um, so Evan and I worked at the the same growth strategy and innovation consulting firm in Memphis, and one day I arrived to work, um, and he was already there, which is a, a unusual experience out of the gate. Um, but he he told me about a conversation he had, had the night before about whether or not there's a direct correlation between um, somebody's age and what how much they're willing to spend on a steak dinner. Um, so you know you're. In your late teens, early 20s, maybe the, the most you're going to spend on a steak dinner is 20 bucks at Applebee's. Um, but if you get into your 60s and you're done with your career and you've done well, maybe you're going to spend 60 or $70 on a steak dinner. Um, and I, I kind of chuckled a little bit, um, but maybe not enough to Evan's liking. And he said, do you think we could turn that into a board game? Um, and um, that was very intriguing to me. And I, I said, I, I think we probably could. And um, we got a couple stacks of sticky notes. Um, and we drew some kind of nonsensical x-axis graphs and um, some, some y-axis answers to these graphs um, and created a very rudimentary paper craft version of what ultimately became Charity Party. And, you know, that first version was um, a little too hard to play and very, very slow. Um, but when we played it at a, in the conference room with our interns, you know, people had a lot of laughs and, and it was clear that there was something there. Um, and I think from that day until the time we got it up on Kickstarter was around three months. Evan's going to remember specifically how long it took us, but it was not long. I think
2: it was faster. I think it might have been been like closer two to months. two months. But so it was like um, Thanksgiving to like January fifteenth or something.
1: Yeah, but the moral of the story is because you know the end result of of getting the product up on Kickstarter um, is if you if you have an idea, I promise you you can do it. You can get it for wherever your idea is to. Today to up on Kickstarter to see if it's got proof of life, if people will give you money to make it, um, so, well, so that's, start working that, on that.
2: I think what Josh just ended with there is the most critical thing, not just to making a board game, but to starting a business, to launching any sort of idea. Is uh, you just have to get it out there into the world, and it's not gonna be great on the front end, and that is fine, and in fact, I think required. Um, it's just you've got to get it. Out in the world, fast as you can. People will sit on an idea for two to five years, and uh, you know nothing ever happens with it. And the big problem is that you don't—you really can't learn about what needs to change or adapt with your concept until real people are either able to use it, or buy it, or play it. And so, uh, having having a real version of it that people can can go after is uh,
0: critical, I think. Do you credit Kickstarter with? Um being able to get from idea to the table in this generation?
1: Yeah, like 100%. A, a billion um, percent. Yeah, uh, Kickstarter, I, I, there's a couple things there. So it gives you an opportunity to to de-risk your idea so you can raise a bunch of capital on the front end without taking on partners who are gonna dilute your ownership. Um, and then instead of you know putting your life savings into buying inventory on your thing, um, you're you're using your Kickstarter funds to do it, so um, you're you're really de-risking it. And for games in particular, um, Kickstarter is a platform where people can get games that are never going to see the light of the day el- elsewhere. Um, I probably have three games uh, on my shelf right now uh, that are among my favorites to play that you're you're just not going to be able to buy them in Target for various reasons, like it's not a good fit, if they're they cost too much, whatever. And people who play games know that about Kickstarter, so it creates this very forgiving. Uh, environment for launching games where where people are going to be there actively looking and, and supportive and um, willing and able to give you good actionable feedback on your concept. Um, so, I, you know, I tell people all the time, like, even if you're not worried about de-risking the money part, like you've got plenty of money to launch your product, there's no reason to not do it on Kickstarter because of the other part where you can get feedback, you can get proof of concept, and you can get some of that other stuff.
0: I, mean, I hope this Y'all dude, know how are taking note of that and uh our audience at home too because it seems like uh it really launched very special games in a a part of the way it seems like there's evan there's josh and there's kickstarter evan i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you
2: i was just gonna say do y'all know how kickstarter works kind of in general or crowdfunding platforms in general give us
0: why don't you for our our audience (laughs) and for our students in this room give us a nutshell
2: well just really quickly and you know kickstarter is probably the best well known one but there's indiegogo there's a few other platforms out there so i'll use kickstarter as just kind of a catch all for all of this but um you know the big problem with trying to launch a product let's say 15 20 years ago was well you had to get it into stores if you were going to reach your customers for the most part and you know it's usually only makes economic sense to launch a product if you can mass produce it so you know you're probably making 2000 copies of it at a minimum, you know, sometimes many, many more thousands. And so to do that, you got to have a bunch of money to uh, pay a factory or or whatever it is to make that for you. Um, and so it kind of meant that the only people who are making board games or making toys were big companies, um, you know, probably heard of Hasbro or Mattel, you know, companies that make like Monopoly. And they're the only ones that really would have the money up front to go and uh, try and get a new idea or toy into the market. Um, And, uh, you know, a crowdfunding platform basically is a way where it says, we're going to put up a video of what our idea is. And we say, hey, we made kind of a prototype of this thing, Uh, but it doesn't exist yet. And we've kind of done the math to figure out that if we can get 400 people to basically kind of pre-order whatever this is, then we're going to have enough money to place that first print run on that first production run of the product and we can make it happen. And it's also uh, risk free for the people who are kind of putting up that initial money who are pre-ordering it. Because the deal is like, if we say we need 400 people to buy the game, but only 200 people buy the game, everybody gets their money back nobody's unhappy you know maybe you're a little unhappy that not enough people bought your game to make it happen but it's not like you're in debt and blah 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 so that's really the beauty of kickstarter and why it's opened up this world to small creators like us
0: evan do you think people are having their dreams come true on kickstarter
2: i think a lot of people are we certainly have um it's uh it's very very cool thing and that i think you know, we we feel so grateful for, but we probably even can't appreciate how grateful we are that, you know, we get to spend our days working on games and, and talking to people like y'all.
0: Everyone, please forgive me uh, as we're running down to 13 minutes left. I want to make sure that I get everybody who's got a question. So I'm going to go just a little bit faster. Cam, what's your question? I want to know, like, how you guys, like, met and decided that you wanted to make games together?
1: Um, it was an accident. Um, uh, so I wouldn't have the- picked him for sure. Yeah, absolutely not. <laughs> um, so you know, we worked at the at the same consulting firm, and we had the the idea for Charity Party that we got up on Kickstarter. But I think you know our goal for Charity Party at some point we had this conversation that was like, well, wouldn't it be cool if we had to actually make two hundred of these? And it wouldn't that be a great story? And we have this actual box that we made, and we've learned these things that we can pass along to clients. And then um, on uh, we you know we launched the Kickstarter and outperformed our expectations um and then evan had another good idea for the, the sort of fundamental concept of a game so we took the next logical step and made one and um kind of kept doing that over and over again until the company scaled up to the point where we where we looked at each other and like man we got to quit our jobs um <laughs> this is a big enough thing that we've got to actually pay uh 100 of our attention to it so um you know it kind of uh, we had a lot of lucky breaks and and really just leaned into it and took the next logical step, and it, it turned into something
0: real. some notes and so, think- and so different. Uh, the idea of having all of the magnetic pieces the way that you do, having the no-click rule, just take a pinch kind of thing. Uh, I asked one group, I don't know if you guys heard this, but it, we did a podcast a couple of weeks ago, and I asked one of my groups of students, uh, what did they think about it? And one of them was talking about how they love that. You don't have to explain. I don't have to explain it. I can just put that stuff out there. We put out the prompt card and everybody knows what to do. I, it, whereas these other games, when I'm going through Marvel zombies, we love Marvel zombies, a zombie side game. And we, you know, it's taking like 40 minutes to explain, okay. And then you have four actions and then you're going to do this. And then you move up your XP and you take down your hit points. Uh, we liked how intuitive it was. Uh, am I doing this wrong? I use the slate so that the, so that the edge is on the downside because i like to just swipe all of my magnet pieces off me too have you guys thought about <laughs> that like a thing it looks like i'm doing it the other way but
1: uh you're you're doing it the correct way according to the official instructions that evan feels very strongly about that i couldn't care less about
0: <laughs> yeah that's so <laughs>
2: funny um but you bring up a really good point of the about the simplicity and intuitiveness of our games and I think I think there is a time and a place for people who want to learn a game that has the complexity where it's going to you know take you forty five minutes to get through the instructions. Um, but we I think we're really committed to making games kind of for the rest of folks who are like, look, I I don't want to have to spend that much time to learn instructions of a game that like, what if I don't even like it, um, and and uh, you know honestly. I think we, we would probably find it easier to design games that were more complicated in some ways just because it's really hard to get to like the simple version of a game that doesn't also suck. Um, and so, I mean, we were just on a call before this about one game we're working on right now. And, you know, there, we have a lot of really cool ideas for it. And it's, uh, it's very difficult to figure out, like, what is the purest kind of simplest essence that we can include in the game? where it will still be fun and still kind of get the point across. And so, you know, it is tricky to uh, have to adapt your original ideas um, and get to something that the average person is going to, uh, not get bored to tears as you try and explain to them the intricacies of your game. And I think that's where a lot of games can struggle.
1: Yeah. I just want to add to that a little bit. Um, one of the things that Evan and I hold near and dear to our hearts during the development process is the idea of, do we have a fun core activity? So mm. is, is this thing in the center of the game, um, is it a good time all by itself? Um, and then, you know, we have a lot of ideas around it and, it and it grows and breathes and does all this stuff. And then at some point, um, you strip it down and take away everything that doesn't live in service to the core fun activity. Um, and that's how you sort of get to this this elegant stuff. And I, you know, nobody's gonna play a party game that takes longer than 30 seconds to explain, you know, that stops the party, right?
0: Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, I was just given 10 minute warning by Zoom because they hate Ooh, us. All right. We had, a, we had a lovely conversation. About Keep the, moving. That nasty. Riri, what's your question?
2: Uh, my question is uh, what inspired some of the topics that we played for the games? Oh, in ransom notes? <laughs> That's, uh, wow. Uh, honestly, the answer is like literally everything we could think of. Um, I think Josh and I wrote something close to, I think it was probably six or 700 of those prompt cards. Uh, you think it was way more than that? Josh thinks it's more than that. It might have been, if, you know, if, if we count like raw things that we wrote down, it was probably over a thousand um, of ideas for a prompt card. And then we had to kind of whittle it down and find things that uh, were the most fun to play with. But I think I think a key thing that we wanted to touch on or as we had it was we didn't want them all to feel like you're playing the same card over and over. So we really put a lot of time and thought into, you know, you might jump from one card, which is kind of funny on its own, which is, you know, like uh, tell your party host that you've clogged their toilet. Um, but then you jump to another one, which is not necessarily funny on its own, like describe a hippopotamus. Um, but it becomes funny once you have to do it with your your very limited amount of word magnets, and so we wanted to give that very varied experience. And I think try and touch on all aspects of uh uh you know of life that we could. Though Josh, you can speak to. We realize there's a limit to how much you and I can do that just ourselves.
1: Yeah, sure. I think I'll just add to what Evan was saying. You know, during that creative process, I just I I made sure to have my phone with me, whatever I was doing, and I probably wrote. 20 prompts when I was doing yard work one day and another 10 eating lunch one day. It was just like every dumb thought that popped into my head. I was like, okay, this might be something. Um, But so what Evan was just talking about is for the expansion pack. um, You know, we recognized that Evan and I could probably write another 2000 prompt cards. Right. But um, the world has maybe heard enough of our sense of humor. um, So we contracted those out um the the version of ransom notes we're working on right now we actually we, we hired a woman who's got like 30 bylines on reductress um so like her perspective and sense of humor just couldn't have been more different than ours and she knocked it out of the park like she gave us so much gold that i'm so excited to put in the game and like evan and i would have never gotten there so working with somebody else who just had a different perspective a different worldview is gonna make all the difference in the world for that product
0: when you're ready to have teenagers test uh, this, these new sets, the expansion pack, I think we got some people in the room who are ready to awesome. go. Uh, awesome. I, we've got six and a half minutes left. Adam, go. What was your favorite game that you made and your least favorite game that you made? So they're you've living' hmm. into five games so far, right? Like, uh, including Abduction.
2: Right. So five, five games we've launched. Yeah.
0: Out of those five, your favorite and least favorite. They did ask for baby already. I think somebody did. We'll do. We'll we'll do. Yeah, we'll do least
1: favorite. (laughs) Go ahead, Evan.
0: I don't. uh, You know, I don't think there's
2: a least favorite uh, because, as Josh said, I think we have um, uh, elements of all of them that we really like. Um, Maybe you know, if I think about things that I am like, you know, what I don't want to make another game like that necessarily. Like if I if we look at uh, our first game, we made Charity Party, which I have hold very near and dear to my heart. um, But it is the kind of way that game works is very similar to the way that like almost every other game in the party game shelf works, where it's just two pre-written cards that you're kind of putting together. And, you know, you're kind of limited because you're never writing anything down as a player. You're never coming up with anything yourself. So the amount of creativity you can have in there is limited. Um, and so I think Josh and I are both pretty committed to, you know what, going forward, we really like giving people more space to be funny on their own and, uh, helping them to be funny on their own rather than just having them read stuff that we've already written.
0: And the intuitiveness is where it's really, really working. I appreciate that. What's the next question? Um, so,
2: uh, um, <laughs> like, so, um, when you were younger, what did you guys originally want to become? like
1: a career. Wow. Yeah, I uh, I actually posted about this um, on Facebook when Puns of Anarchy got into Barnes and Noble. So I always thought I was going to write books for a living, and I've got a degree in English with a concentration in creative writing. Um, and I I posted a thing, maybe it was Twitter, I don't remember. Anyway, I went to Barnes and Noble and took a picture of the game and myself uh, with the game on the shelf. Um, and said something like, not exactly how I drew it up, but it is nice to, to be in Barnes & Noble finally. Um, so <laughs> you know, adjacent my, to my, where uh, I thought to go.
2: <laughs> I, I never had like, oh, I always wanted to be a you know doctor or something type of person. And I really bounced around trying to figure out what type of work would be fulfilling to me. Uh, I thought I was going to want to be an industrial designer at one point. I thought I wanted to go into film um, for a short period. I was going to be a rock star. Uh, you know all the above Uh, I do remember I was probably uh, 17 and was walking around the mall with my friend Alyssa we were doing Christmas shopping for families and we went in this store that was like a bunch of like quirky toys and uh, you know kind of like smart brainy products and I remember going around there and saying to her that like it would be interesting to like make this sort of stuff uh, as a job, and I goes guess like so like toy inventor, I guess. And then I forgot about that. And, you know, went to school for business and all that. And so to have ended up back here uh, is very cool. That that uh, kind of came full circle too. I
0: Evan, who who are your musical influences?
2: My musical influences, uh, <laughs> my my friends would say any of those musicians who have like really breathy singing voices, uh, like that, that are uh, annoying to listen to um uh, <laughs> to make fun of me so you know <laughs> you're like a uh you know John Mayer um type uh type folks but I I like to think that my uh what I enjoy listening to is wider ranging than that and um I I think it ranges from a lot of popular stuff on the radio um but uh also a lot of a lot of older stuff and um I gotta say I'm a huge Nora Jones fan so you know I'm I'm proud of it she she's fantastic
0: Josh, can you sneak one in? And why is the answer Prince?
1: Uh that's that's a very solid answer. I actually saw Prince uh at the FedEx, or I'm sorry, at the pyramid in Memphis a long time ago. Um uh, but painted in the corner, Prince would be on my short list. We're
0: gonna, yeah, we're gonna I think go ahead. Gonna go ahead. We're gonna swap Prince stories later. I have three questions, two and a half minutes to get those questions in. Lewis, go. Uh, board games. how many? Dumb. Top three favorite board games. Uh you each get one. One desert okay. island game. Uh, and, Josh, while we're at it, is Battlestar Galactica one of those hard-to-find games on your
1: shelf? Battlestar Galactica is not one of those hard-to-find games on my shelf. Um, I would say one on a desert island um, for me is this thing called My Father's Work, and it's because it's this gigantic, sprawling, um, ridiculous strategy game that takes like three and a half hours to play, um, and it's it's got a variety of different ways to play, and it's just a great time.
2: I'm going to go the other way. Uh, For me, it's Bananagrams. I am a Bananagrams genius. And I'll challenge anyone on that desert island to beat me at that game. I love it. I think it's brilliant.
0: Yeah, I got to tell you, Steambox has two friends in the game industry and Bananagrams is the other because they're right here. They've done some really cool stuff with us before. Uh, So yeah, that's...
2: Cool. We'd just, love to talk to them. I've never uh, we've never connected with those folks.
0: I would be happy to hook you up. Uh after, let's uh exchange emails in the DM. Chloe, quickly go. Cool. What's an idea for a for a board game. I missed the first part of the question. Come up with an idea for a board oh. game. That's not a 1 minute and a half question. Yeah.
2: It? No, 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 but I think I think there's a essence we can get out of it. Josh kind of touched on it earlier is for us it's coming across a activity or idea that seems fun on its own. Like, you're like, even if you weren't trying to win a game, you might still want to do this thing. So you might still want to make funny sentences out a word magnets. You might still want to turn a band into a pun. And I think that's key for making a game.
0: that And you made it super intuitive, which our students love. 10-second question, go. What are your favorite hobbies besides board games? Hobbies besides board games. Jiu-jitsu. Jiu Jitsu Uh, and
1: mountain biking.
2: (laughs) I like uh, volleyball and painting.
0: Not for painting, for volleyball. Very very special games. You have been seen. You have been heard. Thank you so much for sending us some games. Uh, I'm sorry, one last thing. Please tell the world where to find your games on social media. Uh, Uh, All our ads are very
1: special games, veryspecialgames.com.